Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. The uh, oil is thick in here. Mm. Body, the Bible says, is a temple the Holy Spirit. Paul actually puts it in the form of a question. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And when he says that, he's basically assuming we should already know the answer. And say that you're the summer home of the Holy Spirit, the weekend getaway of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple. From God's perspective, you are a house of worship. And if your body is the temple, then your heart is the altar. I feel like God is reigniting the fire on the altar for a lot of you tonight. He's going to do it all weekend. It is his intention. I'll tell you how I know this. Um, I was texting with Joaquin today. He said, what are you feeling for this week? (laughs) This is a rare thing, by the way. A lot of times speakers don't collaborate or anything like that. And we weren't collaborating. Just what do you feel for this week? It's just this afternoon when I flew into town. And in praying for this conference, there's a, a phrase, a seven-word phrase that has rolled around in my, in my spirit that in 30-some-odd years of preaching, I've never preached on this phrase, ever. And it, I'm going to talk about it tomorrow night more than tonight. I'm going to lay a foundation tonight, but uh, it comes out of the story in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, there's a couple of guys that are just walking along and, and suddenly Jesus joins them. It's a seven-mile trip and, and as they're walking and talking, Jesus starts unveiling. He's preaching about himself and he's using the Old Testament scriptures to show who he, who he was, who he is. They don't know it's him and he's intending to go farther and they go, yeah, come on over for dinner. This guy's fascinating to talk to. Seems to know stuff. And he sits down, and the Bible said he broke bread. And as he passed it out, suddenly they recognized him. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. The minute they recognized him, he vanishes. Because he's just strange like that. He knows, how to, he knows how to make an entrance, and he knows how to make an exit. He's just, and, and they turn to each other, and one of them utters this phrase. And I said to Joaquin, I said, this phrase has been gripping me for a week. I've never, ever preached on it. And this is the phrase they say, it's seven words long. Did not our hearts burn within us? They didn't know it was him. All they had was the sound of his voice. And somehow, through what he was saying, there was a fire ignited on the altar of their heart. And... uh Joaquin says, he texts back all kinds of, you know, kind of, when, when we get excited in texting, all the things we do, ah! says, I was just in Alabama last week, and that is exactly the phrase I preached on. A lot of phrases in the Bible. You know, we could have tried that a million times and never gotten that, except I know that the fingerprint of God is on this weekend to ignite the fire on the altar of your heart. Huh. 
You're a temple of the Holy Spirit, whether the fire's there or not. Some of you, the, the temple has gone a little cold. And you're not going to leave here that way. <laughs> it's not because of me. It's not because of Joaquin. It's not because of anybody who's going to be ministering. It's going to be because you're going to see him and encounter him. That's the deal. You got to see him. You got to encounter him. See him to encounter him. That's the only thing that matters. I'm telling you. I do this speaking thing all the time, and I sit and listen to people who do this thing all the time. And we can take you to the door. We can point you in the right direction. You got to encounter him. And when you want him like a drowning man wants air, There's just nothing in the world like a hungry heart. And God will not leave a hungry heart orphaned. He just doesn't. He doesn't. His desire is to awaken within you the revelation of the reconciled rest that was paid for in blood in this beautiful new covenant world we live in that we're starting 2,000 years after the resurrection. We're just scratching the surface on what in the world we've got access to. What did the blood of Christ pay for? What did the power of the resurrection that pulled Jesus up out of the dead and brought you out with him before you were even here? What did that pay for? What did that give you access to? Mm. We're gonna discover some things over the next couple of days. We're going to learn together because I'm going to preach a message I've never preached in my whole life. And I'm super excited to hear what I'm going to say. Uh -huh. <laughs> I got to introduce you to, uh, to one of my best friends in the whole world. The Holy Spirit is one. This is the other. And this is my wife, Tracy. Can I borrow that microphone for half a second? I'm going to put her on the spot tonight. I, I, didn't, I didn't do the gentlemanly thing and, you know, and help you up the steps okay. like I'm supposed to. No, it's okay. You're, I mean, you know, let's not, <laughs> risk, let's not risk injury here. Walking in, we had these heavy suitcases, and he accidentally dropped the door on me, and I was like, wow, I hope nobody saw that. <laughs> we have to have it all together. <laughs> <laughs> this, this guy, are we live streaming this? Okay, this guy, this guy gets up during testimony time and he goes, this, this dude's a concrete worker. And man, I hugged him. He was like hug, hugging a tree. I was like, like wow. And, uh, and he goes, yeah, I came to this thing pretty mad. There's a guy on my job. I determined Monday morning, I was just gonna go in and pound him. You know, beat him, beat him up real good. But after this weekend, I think I'm gonna show him some grace and give him some love instead. <laughs> I'm like, so apparently he didn't know that it's not okay to get up and admit that you're like intending to commit a felony. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be super good. Everybody who's put this together, I know this is born out of 
Save it tomorrow? Okay. Love you guys. Awesome. I'm, I'm just going to briefly mention the resources in the back. There's some books back there. There's one called The Four People You Marry. It's a book on marriage that Tracy and I, we just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary this year. So we got married at the age of 18 and 19 and Man, my dad did the wedding and he turned to Tracy at one point during the ceremony and says, for richer, for poor. And he looks at her and goes, you don't know how poor we can get, all right? <laughs> Literally, I thought that's a, it's a deal breaker. But she, she seemed completely unfazed. And it wasn't until after the wedding I realized that her grandmother noticed she was, you know, young bride, super nervous, and gave her one of her what, old lady tranquilizers. So when she came down the aisle, she was greeting everybody, like, hey, how you doing? What's going on with you? I'm like, wow, she's relaxed. Wasn't even phased by the poor comment. Anyway, no, she's amazing. Tracy's my, my best, best friend in the whole world. Uh, if you've got Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 9 tonight. I want to lay a foundation with you this evening and... and uh, share with you a word that's been really burning in my heart for a little while, and it's going to actually prepare us for what I'm going to talk about tomorrow night. I assume Joaquin's probably going to talk a little bit about this in, in the morning. So we're going to make tomorrow a day where the whole theme goes around these seven words, did not our heart burn within us. And, uh, but tonight is, to me, going to be really, really important because I, I'm, I'm going to share what I feel like is a word for the entire body of Christ right now. Some words are very corporate for a, uh, a specific gathering like this. Some words are for individuals, individual congregations. Some words uh, feel like they're really, really a nationwide word. And I feel like tonight, this is a real nationwide word. For the last six months, I've done a deep dive into the book of Daniel. And there's a, there's a USB thumb drive that's out there uh, called, uh, it's called Daniel, Compassion Without Compromise. And it's a 10-hour series on the book. And it's not about end-time theology, although I do actually set a date for the return of Christ in that series. I did, really. I'm not even joking. It, it's out there. The date is beyond my own lifespan, so we'll never figure out whether or not I was actually right or not. So. But I did, I, it's, and it's biblical, sort of. Anyway, <clears throat> that's back there. There's a series, a 10-hour series on the book of Revelation that's fun. It is fun. Revelation, to me, is the happiest book in the entire Bible. Um, it really is. More than one beast in the book of Revelation. You've seen them before, been in the Bible before. The word antichrist doesn't appear anywhere in the book of Revelation. A singular antichrist. There's a lot of them. John said that in his letters. He says a lot of antichrists are around. They've gone out from among you. I, I guarantee you've all met an antichrist most of the time in church. <laughs> Ooh. Not a mean statement. The word anti and antichrist does not mean violent opposition. It doesn't mean violently opposing Christ. It simply means instead of. It's like, yeah, we like Jesus. We're really focused on Jesus most of the time. But if you've seen what's going on in the nation, we're going to preach about something else for a while and set Jesus aside. That is the spirit of anti-Christ. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, 
so anyway, Revelation series is back there. It's fun. It'll make it literally will make Revelation the happiest book you've ever read because the book of Revelation is actually, it's not about the end times, not even about the last days. The book of Revelation is a handbook for how to walk in supernatural victory over darkness in every single generation. The entire book is about the victory of Jesus Christ, beginning, middle, and end. And, uh, and it matters to know that. <clears throat> and then there's, there's a ton of other teachings and stuff back there. Tracy can explain all that stuff to you. Uh, I, I felt drawn some time ago to study the life of Daniel. And it was, it was prompted by the Lord. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to just dive deep into this character. And I thought, whoa, are we preparing for the end times? Is this really, is this how it's going down? I'm going to get into the, all of the, the five visions of Daniel and, and how they all you know, line up with everything today. And, and I felt like the Lord said, no, I got something else I want you to see. And I saw some things in Daniel I'd never seen before. Have you ever read something? And this is why the book is so alive. To me, this, this, this is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. This has been a scalpel in my life to cut off the cancer of bad ideas and lousy theology so many times and awaken me to a revelation. It's been like a window, a doorway, a gateway into a, a deeper walk with God. And I'm, I'm, I'm super concerned with the spiritual illiteracy of, of a lot of people because they have actually taken the scriptures and shoved them aside and think you can have a depth of relationship with God without really knowing what he has said and what he has done. It's a big deal that you anchor into the scriptures. If you don't have an anchor into the scriptures, the first wind of adversity comes at you and you don't have a promise other than your own thoughts to hang on to. And your head's a weak pedestal to stand on. I don't think I've ever said that before, but that felt pretty good. Um, and I could stand up here tonight and I could introduce you to ideas, thoughts, and concepts about God, but all I'll do is argue you into the kingdom of God. And if I argue into the kingdom, somebody smarter than me will come and argue out of it. This reveals, unveils the secret place of the Most High, where you can have an encounter with an authentic, living God, the resurrected Christ, the spirit of the resurrected Christ. I get deep into this book and he starts talking to me like he doesn't talk to me in any other way. He talks to me in all kinds of different ways, but never so clear as when I get my face down into the words in this book. He starts just throwing promises into my spirit, engraving them on the walls of my heart. And when the winds of adversity come, it's amazing how those promises are the things that come to the surface. Jesus and the devil one time uh, in, the, in the book of Luke, they go, they go out into the wilderness to, to, uh, to have a chat. 40 days, Jesus and the devil out in the wilderness. And uh, the devil starts quoting the Bible to Jesus. <laughs> it's interesting. He quotes the scripture to Jesus to try to get him to question his own identity. You know what Jesus does back? Quotes the scriptures to reinforce his identity. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's fun. So 
I felt like the Lord said, dive deep into the book of Daniel. I want, you to, I want you to see something about this guy. And immediately some things came to mind. I saw five characteristics of Daniel's life that I felt like every single one of us need to like grab a hold of, just, just sink our teeth deeply into. Because right now we are in a time where the entire culture of the body of Christ is in a radical shaking. I don't know if you know this or not. But we are, we are in a season of reformation. Two years ago, I talked about this. And I said, back in uh, 2017, I'm in Wittenberg, Germany. And I felt like the Lord said, uh, we're going through a reformational period. Billy said, it's going to be crazy. Next 10 years are going to be nuts. What took 100 years in the last reformation is only going to take 10 in this one. That was in 2017. In that time, from that time until now, not only have we seen all of the cataclysmic things that have happened, both in the political realm and, and in the uh, cultural realm all over the earth, but we've seen like the celebrity Christianity kind of like hit the skids. I mean, like uh, who, who would have thought that some of the biggest names out there would now be tossed in the cancel culture bin? And the reality is, is what, what we are experiencing is really a product of our own power. We don't realize how powerful we are. I'll give you an explanation here. Uh, I remember when one day, I'm, I, we live on airplanes, so I'm thinking, oh man, I hate this mask thing. And I felt like the Lord said, why are you so upset about masks, Bill? You've been wearing them for years. I was like, what? Ow. God is good, but he's not always nice, Okay. I mean, sometimes, sometimes he speaks to you like a father speaks to a son to bring correction to a mindset that seriously needs correction. Like a destructive or limited mindset, God doesn't mind confronting those. That's called love. That's actually not a bad thing. And thank God that he does that. Okay, so he says, uh, yeah, Bill, you've been wearing them for years. Now, the minute that he said that, I suddenly had a picture of the sign that was on pretty much every church door, especially up in the Northeast that I went to, which said this, must have mask to enter. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and say, that sign has been hanging on the door in the spirit of almost every church for a long time, and everybody knows it. Because this is not the place you go to get transparent. You may have had a fight with your wife and your kids on the way to church. The minute you walk in the room, everybody says, hey, how you doing? I'm great. Blessed and highly favored. <laughs> Praise God. Got to go get my worship on now. Not the place we go to get honest, real, and transparent unless you're in a culture that you know carries the grace of God. Because in that kind of culture, you can get transparent and you'll get healed. Not every culture is like that. Not every church is like that. I was like, God, what, what are you talking about? I understand. Okay, okay, so wait. So you're saying that we did the mask thing? You say, and I felt like the Lord said, what you tolerate in the spirit will manifest in the flesh. What you tolerate in the house. We don't realize how powerful we are. What you tolerate in the spirit, in the house of God, in the body of Christ will manifest globally in the flesh. Okay. Can you give me another example, Lord? I'm not convinced yet. What about cancel culture? I mean, I'm looking at the world out there and they're like acting like judge, jury, and executioner, determining who's worthy of grace and who's not. Who needs to be canceled, cut off, and judged? They don't have any right to do that. That's what we do. Oh, oh man, there we go again. Realized, oh man, we invented cancel culture. 
Like all the people that I've disqualified in my own mind because I had some scandal at this. They blew their life up this way and whatnot. And I look at them, they can't maintain the perfection. Find somebody else to put up on the pedestal that we can worship to take their place. I realized, oh my goodness, we have, we have done a very bad job of restoring people. Finally, I was like, okay, okay, okay. I, 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 got, I got one more, Lord. I got one more. And this one really got me. So this next generation, Generation Z, this next generation that's coming up, these guys, just, it's, it's, like, it's like they're dead to the gospel. Now, I made a mistake when I, when I went, went here because I was actually sitting with a dear old friend of mine and a uh, wise man in the faith. And... Uh, we were sitting in a restaurant, and I said to, to him, I said, look, <clears throat> I was talking about this, and I said, but you know, here, here's the one area. He said, I, I said, I can't seem to just let this one go. I said, this next generation, it's like, it's like they're dead to the gospel. And he goes, uh, you remember when, when uh, Jesus was on his, uh, on his going, you know, going along his way one day, and this woman that had the issue of blood came up and touched the hem of his garment? How many know the story I'm talking about? Okay. Touches the hem of his garment, and everybody's touching him. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes, whoa, somebody touched me. And everybody's like, yeah, everybody, everybody here is touching you. Everybody wants a selfie with you. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. In other words, somebody put a demand on a substance called anointing that I'm carrying. And when she did, literally virtue flowed out of me. Fascinating. Let's go find out who that was. And he finds her, and she's like freaking out, but healed. I have a little conversation. And so my friend says to me, you remember? You remember this? And I said, yeah. He said, did you ever ask yourself the question, where was Jesus going? No, I had not. I thought about the story a little bit and I realized he was on his way to the home of a man named Jairus to raise his daughter, actually from the dead. At the time, she was just sick, not dead, but he's on his way to heal her. And uh, my friend says, yes. So keep the story going. Okay. So he deals with this lady. He hangs out, talks with her for a bit, and then he gets on his way. But he's delayed enough to where when he gets to the house of Jairus, they say, don't even bother with this. She's not sick anymore. No, she's gone to the next level. She is dead. And Jesus responds and says, she's not dead. She's what? sleeping. I am here to awaken her. Let me give you another word. I am here to woke her. That was the one. That was the one that really got me. Woke language. Weird. I said uh, to my friend, okay, okay, okay. Because he's the one that said to me, what's another word for waken? Woke. I went, oh, come on, man. And he goes, yeah, he says, um, so what I feel like the Lord is saying is he's intending to bring the awakening we've asked for to the next generation, but he's being delayed because of the older generation with issues in their blood. I said, well, the, the woke stuff, that's offensive. I mean, you can't like slice or dice and spin that. It's just really offensive. And he says, 
stop and think about this with me for a second. When a person is saying they're like waking up or they're talking about being awakened, he said, do you realize that that's actually an admission of vulnerability? So think about yourself in the morning. I said, yeah, it's true. I get up in the morning and Tracy tries to say something. We're like, don't talk to me yet. I haven't had coffee. I'm just waking up. What am I saying? I'm saying I am in a transitional moment from one state to another state. And in this transitional moment, I'm not 100% like myself here. I'm still figuring things out, how this day is gonna go, okay? Give me a cup and a half of coffee and then we can have a conversation says, you know what God is doing? He says he's seeding the language of awakening and vulnerability into a generation. They're trying to mask it with confidence, but they're actually saying, hey, I'm just waking up here. I realize we're moving from one state to another. And they're looking at the church and going, do you have my awakening? Can you introduce me to an awakening? And because the language is so offensive, we shut the door on them. And he said, we're actually shoving them into the arms of another. When in fact, we've got to introduce them to Jesus. Why, yes, your awakening has a name. It's Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection was thinking of you. It's not just an awakening. It's a resurrection from the dead. I was talking to a, a, a young uh, protege, student, intern, former intern. who's become a youth pastor now. And, and I was a youth pastor for six years. I don't even know why I'm going here tonight. <clears throat> this isn't my message yet. We're getting there. I got 28 minutes till sermon end. Okay, good. <laughs> we'll make it work. <laughs> Literally says that right there. That's fun. <laughs> glaring, huge. <clears throat> so so uh, I was talking to her and I said, I said, what's the biggest challenge you're finding with young people right now? She says, they don't understand grace. They don't understand grace and they don't understand forgiveness. They don't forgive, they cancel. You do something to offend them, they cut you off, cancel, and they move on. People have become disposable. So when you talk to them about a God who forgives and gives grace, they're like, well, that's weak. Can you imagine, generation to generation to generation, God has built an understanding of new covenant grace. Foundation, line upon line, precept upon precept, he's built an amazing, amazing revelation of the power of this grace that's in this new covenant. Now we got a generation that looks at that and calls it something completely other than what it is. And this is a big deal, guys. This is a huge deal. God's got to give you and I Holy Spirit-inspired sound that can actually pierce through the hardest heart to ignite a flame within that next generation. And he's going to give it to you. That's why he's igniting the fire on the altar of your heart. It's not for you just to enjoy being a warm temple. It's so that you can give it away. You're a fire carrier and a fire starter. It's who you are. Okay, <clears throat> But I felt like when I looked at Daniel, I felt like there were five aspects of Daniel's character and heart that, that we have got to have, especially as Americans in the United States right now. It's a huge deal. Let me just go through the five, okay? I'm going to try to do this simple quick, and then uh, we're going we're to finish up with some worship tonight. <clears throat> 
Daniel is a young man and he is living in a crazy time. Jeremiah the prophet is living at the same time. He's somewhere between 30 and 50 years older than Daniel. And we don't know 100%, but Jeremiah is prophesying specifics about the fact that Babylon's coming in. They're gonna take us over. By the way, this is the hand of God. And, and, and he says, Jeremiah 29, 11, Know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, to prosper, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. He encourages the people. When this happens and Babylon comes in and takes you over, go ahead, build houses, have families, do life in the middle of Babylon. Not only that, but pray for the city. So Jeremiah is not super popular. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah is not gonna go into exile. He's gonna follow a remnant of people, smart guy. He's gonna follow a remnant of people into Egypt. Anybody know what happens to Jeremiah? The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what happened, but you can look through, through Jewish culture and uh, some of the extra biblical writings, and this is some of the things that you hear about Jeremiah. Somehow, Jeremiah prophesied to some folks in Egypt, word they didn't like, and they stoned him to death. But they know he's a legitimate prophet of a legitimate God, so they decide that they're going to give him honor and burial, and they bury the guy. And one of the things that happened in Jeremiah's last years is apparently he prayed away all the crocodiles and all the vipers from that part of the land that they were living in. So they recognized this guy had some power, but they still stoned him for what he said. But when somebody would get bit by a viper, you know what they'd go do? They'd take some dust off of Jeremiah's grave, put it on the viper bite, and the person to be healed. Crazy. Alexander the Great comes along and he finds out about this and he's like, I want that body. And so he digs Jeremiah up and he takes him to Alexandria. We have no idea what happened into this day. So that's the end of Jeremiah. <clears throat> but he leaves behind some amazing writings that are talking about the plans and purposes of God. And Daniel is just a young guy and all of a sudden it all happens. Nebuchadnezzar, who's crazy as a rabid bat, comes sweeping into Jerusalem and he does the unthinkable. He grabs a hold of all the Jews and instead of destroying everybody, he decides, let's just move the whole nation to my place. Let's take all these Jews. You won't be Jews anymore. You'll be Babylonians instead. Bring all your money and all your stuff and come on over to Babylon. Oh, by the way, you don't have any choice. And Let's take some of these young guys over here and you guys get to work in my house. And so it, Jer Jeremiah had seen all of this coming, right? Now, Daniel, Daniel watches here as the, the entire nation's identity is stripped. Not only that, but Nebuchadnezzar has the, the temple with the Ark of the Covenant and the altar and the laver and all the gold and all that stuff. It's been standing for 800 years. He has that thing destroyed and burned to the ground and all the gold taken back to his place to party with. So ponder this with me. Let's say that another country comes into your church, takes the entire congregation and puts it in prison in another country or burns your church down to the ground, but before they do, takes the sound system back to the president's house to party with. How offended would you be? pretty offended. Here's the crazy thing. Daniel seems to carry no offense at any of this. He's just kind of going along with it. They tell him, hey, you got a different name, Daniel. It's a name that honors God. Now your name's Belteshazzar, a new name that honors a demon. Okay, so you're stripping my identity. You're forcing me into a job that I don't want. You burnt my church down, and uh, you took all the gold and, and the Ark of the Covenant. 
which we're never going to hear from again until the book of Revelation. And, and not only that, but you've taken the entire nation and you stripped their identity away too. And, uh, and okay, here we are. Now Daniel is just hanging out. He doesn't push back against any of this. The first thing that he pushes back against is when the king goes, hey, would you like some food from my table? And Daniel goes, no, the Lord says no. Well, what did the Lord say about the burning down of the temple? Nothing? Apparently not. What about the taking of captivity? All the, nothing. What about the stripping of identity? Nothing. But now you tell me no when he offers me a flame and yawn? One of the very first things you discover about Daniel is he is living a no compromise lifestyle to the word of the Lord. Now, this is one of the weirdest and, and strangest revelations that you may get out of tonight's message because this is, this is, this is something I'm going to tell you right now. Honestly, I struggle with this. The Bible says, this is an interesting phrase, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof leads to death. Anybody heard that? Okay, it seems pretty self-explanatory. Somebody starts sinning real bad, and it seems like the right thing to do, but they're going to end up suffering the consequences of it. I definitely think that's an application that can be used. But think of it like this. What would seem right in Daniel's case? Well, I can give you a number of things that would seem right. Fight for the temple. That's a big cause. Don't let anybody take the Ark of the Covenant. That's a huge deal. Don't let anybody change your name. That's a big deal. There's a lot of things that seem right. But you know what would have happened if Daniel would have picked those hills to fight on? Those would have been the hills he would have died on. Because sometimes there's a way that seems right, but the end thereof leads to death. There's going to be a lot of people that come to you with all kinds of good ideas of what ought to be the most important ministry that you should be a part of. It's going to be a lot of people that come to you holding up, holding up verses saying, this is the values of heaven. That means you got to drop everything else and focus your entire attention on this. Don't do a single thing until you talk to Jesus. I'm telling you this, this is one of the first rules. Living without compromise to the word of the Lord means there's a lot of good things that could arrest your attention and arrest your affection and grip your emotions and pull all of your attention into one wonderful good area. But I got one question for you. Did God tell you to fight on that hill? We got a lot of the body of Christ right now that's standing on hills that they want everybody to stand on. I'm, I'm sorry, this is different. You're not going to hear anybody else say this, all right? Because I, I can't find anybody else who can agree with anything I'm saying right now. <laughs> but I'm telling you, people come at me all the time with causes that are godly and good and, and have the scent of the values of the kingdom of God and of heaven. And they're going, this is the most important thing in the world right now. And if you don't get on this bandwagon, you are, wow, it's amazing. How many labels you get when you don't get on somebody's good bandwagon? And I take all those wonderful ideas and I say to the Lord, hey, is this you telling me to do this or is this a distraction from what I'm supposed to be doing? And if it's a distraction, I can bless that person. I may even be able to financially support that person and I can love them and send them on their way. But the reality is the body of Christ has got to get really good at listening to the voice of the Lord and not compromising on his word. Just got to learn to say no sometimes. 
Because when you say yes to one thing, you say no to everything else. You got to find the one thing God's asking you to do. What is the one hill God wants you to push back on right now? Everything else around you may be huge and big, like the burning down of the temple, the taking away of a nation, the stripping away of identity, but suddenly you're in a situation where it seems like pushing back on this doesn't matter at all. And suddenly you go, this is the moment where God says no. No, this is the hill I fight on right now. What's God doing? He's inviting Daniel into a into a a connection with his heart that requires he keeps the flame lit on the altar. He's got to keep the flame lit on the altar. Church, we got to keep the flame lit on the altar of the temple, right? He has a no compromise attitude to the word of the Lord. The second thing that Daniel does is Daniel lives in a lifestyle of radical compassion. Compassion. Not for likable people. Daniel has develops, he develops a love for wicked kings. Nebuchadnezzar, who was absolutely crazy as can be, tried to burn his friends alive. I mean, D- Daniel is like got the, the 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 worst boss anybody could ever have. And one day, in Daniel chapter 2, don't go there, stay in Daniel 9. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And he calls all of the wise men and all of the uh, astrologers and all the magicians to him. And he says to these guys, hey, I I had a dream. I want to know what it means. And they go, tell us what the dream was. And he goes, nope. Put you guys to the test. You tell me what the dream was and then tell me the interpretation too. (laughs) That's like super advanced prophetic ministry. And these, these wise men and astrologers and magicians are like, man, nobody can do that. And he's like, okay, then you're all dead. Well, now Daniel, he's kind of a freshman in this camp and he hears about it. This word comes down. You guys are all getting killed because nobody can tell the king his dream and interpretation. Daniel's like, whoa, time out. I'm gonna go talk to God. So he goes to the Lord and says, what do you think? God gives him the dream and the interpretation. The first thing Daniel does is he goes to his boss, his supervisor, and he says, look, I'll tell the king the dream and the interpretation on one condition. Do not kill anybody. Now, this would have been a great opportunity for Daniel to get all these demon-possessed magicians out of the way. Little contest. Kill the ones who don't know and the one who does gets to live. No more competition for Daniel. But that's not the way this works. Daniel goes, you know what? I'll tell, him, I'll tell him the interpretation, but he doesn't kill anybody, all right? And the king agrees. All right, I won't kill anybody. And so Daniel gives him the interpretation. When he does, he says this phrase, O king, live forever. What? If he's going to deliver a hard word to Nebuchadnezzar, it goes like this. O king, live forever. Word to God, this word were for those who hate you and not for you. He's not just being diplomatic. He's actually developed the heart of compassion for this guy. God says, you're going to lose your mind and eat grass out in the field for the next seven years. So sorry to tell you. (laughs) Sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar becomes like a cow for the next seven years. He's eating grass out in the field. At the end of seven years, his mind returns to him. He comes back into the palace needing a shave and a haircut. And who's waiting to serve him? Daniel. 
King Darius, a couple of kings later, King Darius makes a decree. Anybody who doesn't worship our gods, worship something else, gets thrown into the lion's den. It's an unbreakable decree. I can't even break it myself. Somebody says, I saw Daniel praying to another god. Darius is like, oy vey. Oh, what did I do? Ah, oh, man, I got to throw this guy in the lion's den now. He throws him in the den. The next morning, he runs to the den and he goes, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you? This is where Daniel gets like weird. He's like, oh, king, live forever. My God has shut the lion's mouth. This is not what I would have done. I would have been like, I don't know. Why don't you come down here and find out? We, we are not friends anymore. This was, this was a deal breaker, okay? He was psychopath. Daniel has absolutely developed an amazing heart of love, not just for these wicked kings, though, but for these demon-possessed magicians. Spare their life. You know what happens when you spare somebody's life? They kind of feel indebted to you. But not only that, these guys want spiritual power. What does Daniel have? Spiritual power. He's genuinely connected to a real God, not just a stone idol, a real God. What happens to all these guys? They become disciples. Matter of fact, by the time you get to Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel has his most wild vision, you see Daniel has this terrifying encounter that leaves him trembling, and he's not alone. There's a whole bunch of people with him. Who's with him? These guys. These people that were following him around, like, tell, tell us what you know. He's got, he's got a church. So the first thing about Daniel is that he's living in no compromise to the word of the Lord. He only does what he hears the Lord say. Jesus did the same thing, by the way. It's a good idea to do. <clears throat> Second thing is he develops a lifestyle of radical compassion for wicked kings. The third one is found in, and, and by the way, you got wicked people around you? You love them? Well, Bill, come on. That sounds compromising to me. Okay, let me give you some words of Jesus. Love your enemies. Not just the people you don't like. Love your enemies. Why? Because God loves everybody you hate. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Do good to those who mistreat you. Ow. That's going to take your heart, your consuming heart, your consuming fire of love to be burning on the altar of my heart to see past the costume and see the reality of who you made them to be. I got to see with prophetic eyes the promise that's hidden inside of a person's life that's buried beneath a lifetime of baggage. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are thinking about a person right now you don't want to love. You don't have to try in your own strength. Let God ignite a supernatural fire of love on the altar of your heart. And you know what'll happen? You will become a living invitation for them to see who they really are. Mm -hmm. Third thing, find Daniel, and, and we're going to, we're, we're, I'm taking too much time with this one. I'm, I'm gonna just go super fast here. In Daniel chapter nine, <clears throat> he reads, and we don't know if this is the first time or whatever, but he reads what Jeremiah wrote. And Daniel reads how they were going to be taken into captivity into Babylon, and it was going to be for 70 years. And Daniel realizes we're in the middle of this, and this is all God's doing. He actually allowed this. Now, I think maybe if we saw that, we might go, oh, well, we'll just ride it out. And Daniel doesn't do that. Why? Because he has a relationship with God. And you know what happens when you have a relationship with God? 
You realize God values friendship and relationship so strongly that you can make an appeal to the Lord even if you're in the middle of his will to modify some things. Interesting. God says to Moses one day, give you an example here. Says to Moses one day, hey, stand back. I'm wiping all these people out. I'm wiping all your people out that you brought out of Egypt. Moses goes, time out. They're not my people, they're yours. I didn't bring them out, you did. And what are the nations gonna say? Their God can't deliver them? And God goes, eh, you're right. (laughs) This is the kind of relationship that God's looking for. Daniel exhibits this. He sees we're in the middle of a God-ordained period of time. This is a divine reset for all the years of Jubilee that we flushed and we didn't pay any attention to and all the idolatry that we've tolerated under the old covenant. We're just getting payback here. But you know what, God, I'm going to ask you to do some things. And down toward the end of Daniel's prayer, there's a beautiful prayer in there. Daniel says, oh Lord, turn the light of your face toward us because of your compassion, not because of any of righteousness of ours. We don't deserve this, but because of your compassion, because you're righteous for your name. And then he says three things to God, Lord, hear, Lord, forgive, and Lord, do something now. Listen and take action. It's amazing because he literally prays into the will of God. And what he does is he makes a thing called supplication. And when you say supplication, you're like, well, that's not a word we usually use. But the word supplication is a word that just means to ask for grace, to ask for a grace that you don't deserve. Now, while Daniel does this, he gets to this point toward the end of the prayer where he starts asking for grace. He asks for forgiveness and he makes supplication. He's been confessing sin for the first three quarters of the prayer, but then he gets to the point where he asks for grace and boom, the angel Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel says, I'm gonna tell you why I'm here. The minute you ask for grace, the command was given. And I'm here to bring you wisdom, insight, and understanding. It's almost like God was sitting there going, I hear the confession, I hear the admission of sin, I see the guilt, I see the shame, but the minute he asks for grace, God pulls the trigger and says, now go, give him insight and understanding. He says, when you ask for grace, when you made supplication, in that moment, the command was issued. That's the third thing that Daniel does. He asks for grace, not just for himself, but for his nation. It is totally legal to ask God for grace for your nation. It's... I'm gonna give you a verse from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter five, verse one. You ready? It's an old covenant promise. God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, run to and fro through the streets of the city of Jerusalem. See if you can find one person who practices justice and seeks truth, and I will pardon the entire city. Now, under the new covenant, we know that truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. So we can look through a new covenant lens, my favorite books, through the new covenant lens, and we can see that what God is saying if, is if you can find one person who has a value and a hunger for my presence in this wicked city, I'll release grace over the whole region. And God says that in the middle of the old covenant. There is enough, there is enough fire in this room to cover this state. There is enough petition for mercy and grace in this room to cover this state and probably more. Ask God for grace for yourself and for your nation. You know what the key happened? The key happening there is that the angel shows up and he doesn't change the circumstance. He gives Daniel insight and understanding. 
If you're confused about what's going on, ask God for grace. And it's a key to suddenly gaining wisdom, revelation, understanding, insight. The last two things are found in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. Daniel has an incredible encounter with an angel. And when he has this encounter, uh, uh, he's left trembling. He's, He's on the ground trembling. The angel takes and stands him to his feet. And Daniel is still trembling before this, this, this messenger, this angel, which may or may not be Jesus, theologians debate. Nonetheless, it's a messenger from heaven. And Daniel's standing here before, before this being. And in verse 12 of Daniel chapter 10, it says this. From the moment that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before God, your words have been heard. Now, I think every single one of us is interested in answered prayer. I don't know about you, but I sure am, right? I'm I'm big on answered prayer. I don't like praying praying prayers that just feel like they're bouncing off a rubber ceiling, right? I I wanna know I'm connecting with the heart of God, that I'm praying according to his will, that I'm releasing a sound that that is, is in alignment with the sound of heaven. And this is a heart that's in alignment with the sound of heaven. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, when this angel comes and says to Daniel, here's the deal. Let me tell you when your words were heard. Two, two major keys. First, when you set your heart to understand. Now, what is that? It means to stay teachable and humble before God. I tell you, one of the first, um, first times I really started catching this happened many, many years ago. It was in 2006, October of 2006 here in Central Texas. I was a burned out pastor and we'd... we'd we're living in a, a house in the woods and uh, um, was working for a computer company and uh, never thought I'd be in ministry ever again. And a friend of mine who was my neighbor says to me, hey, there's this guy named Bill Johnson coming into town. I'd never heard of Bill Johnson. I was an assembly of God pastor. We didn't look over our, our wall. Um, if it wasn't in our wall, it was like, you didn't exist, right? So <clears throat> God bless the assemblies of God. I love them. So I'm a fan. So, um, but that was kind of our mindset, you know, and, uh, and he's like, I want you to come and hear this guy. And I'm like, nah, I'm conferenced out. I've been pastoring for a while. I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I, I have no desire to go to a meeting. <clears throat> he goes, okay, whatever. Meeting's on Friday. I go home that night. It's a Thursday night and I wake up, Tracy remembers this, wake up myself in the middle of the night. I got my face, face down in a pillow. And I am saying something out loud, which has not happened before or happened since. And I can hear what I'm saying, and I'm repeating it over and over again. And here's the phrase. What you know will keep you from what you need to know if you don't remain a novice. I don't ever use the word novice. So I thought, that's weird. (laughs) So I grabbed a pen and some paper on the nightstand, and I wrote it down. What you know will keep you from what you need to know if you don't remain a novice. Went back to sleep. Next morning, I got up, and I knew I was supposed to go to this meeting. But I got there late and uh, thought, I'm just going to slip in in the back. And uh, I was at Church of the Hills in Cedar Park, and the place was packed. There was no room to sit. Um, And I walked in the back, and I just stood up against the wall. And Bill was standing up there at the front. Here he is. Never never seen this guy before. Never even heard him. And he looks around the room like this, and first thing he does is he goes, Jesus Christ is the most normal Christian in the Bible. 
I thought, why am I so offended at that statement? And I realized real quick, it's because I'm a Christian. I think I'm relatively normal. I'm nothing like Jesus. Wow, that's offensive. Long pause. And he goes, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. I'm like, wow, I went to Bible college. I'm a theology major. Nobody ever told me Jesus Christ is perfect theology. So those two statements alone would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of money. (laughs) Scans the room, looks right at me in the back of the room and goes, what you know will keep you from what you need to know if you don't remain a novice. I had to pick my jaw up off the floor. (laughs) Suddenly I realized, oh, you're really talking to me. And I felt like in that moment, I felt like God said, stay teachable all the days of your life. Don't ever become an expert in this stuff. Listen, I like to tell people this a lot, those you've never heard anything I've ever taught before. When I come to God, he doesn't answer my questions. He questions my answers. He will answer some questions, but then he gives me new questions. It's like, here's an answer for you and two new questions. So I walk away with more questions than I had when I started, which makes me feel like I wish, I wish, you'd, I wish I'd have met you guys like 20 years ago when I knew everything. Somebody can attest this with me, that the longer you go in this thing with God, it's like the more you don't know. You just get really comfortable with saying, I don't know. I don't know. You know what that's called? Childlikeness. Because the more questions we have, the more we ask, what's going on here? What's what's happening? That's what children do. So in the kingdom of God, maturity looks like childlikeness. (laughs) We grow up into being children. (laughs) Jesus pulls a child to him, says, says uh, guys, unless you're converted and become like this, you cannot see the kingdom. Stay teachable. Unless you're converted, become like this, vulnerable and knowing you have need of instruction. Unless you're converted and become like this, you cannot see the kingdom. There is two realms that we're dealing with here. There is the seen realm and the unseen realm. The Bible says the things in the seen realm are temporal. They're passing away. The things in the unseen realm eternal. So the unseen realm is more real than the seen realm. Yet we live with this seen realm as the biggest thing we know. And Jesus is like, unless you let go of all of your answers and start asking the right questions, you will never bring the unseen realm into the seen realm. And that's the point where I go, well, I don't even know what questions to ask anymore. Give me some new ones. Like, I got some good ones for you. <laughs> Stay teachable. Daniel did. Set your heart toward understanding. All the days of his life, Daniel never got so familiar with the presence of the Lord that he stopped trembling in the presence of God. <laughs> Don't think trembling means a bad form of fear either. Hosea chapter 2 and chapter 3 says this. <laughs> I love the story of Hosea. It's one of my favorites in in the Bible. I mean, stop and ponder with me for a moment, Hosea's story. God comes to Hosea one day and says, Hosea, I want you to marry a hooker and she's going to keep hooking. <laughs> Read your Bible. It's a fun book. It's 
crazy, right? I mean, if I'm a pastor in a church and some guy walks up to me and says, uh, yeah, Bill, God told me I'm supposed to marry a prostitute and she's not going to quit her night job. What do you think? I'd be like, dude, that doesn't sound like God. But in Hosea's case, it was. It was. Marry this girl, build a family, have kids. Maybe they're yours, maybe they're not. Who knows? You know, in Jewish culture, you name a kid according to whatever mood you happen to be in when they're born. All of Hosea's kids have really horrible names. All of them, terrible names. So Hosea's not having fun with this process, right? <clears throat> One day, Hosea gets word. Your wife Gomer's on the auction block, man. She's gonna be sold into slavery. And he's like, I ain't letting that happen. So he runs on down there. And he does the unthinkable. He spends of his own wealth to buy his own bride back. And when he does, something amazing happens. He looks at her and goes, you'll never go out again. That's not a statement of control. If he could have done that, he'd have done that from day one. At that moment, Hosea realized, now, it had to go to this extreme for you to discover who you are and how loved you are and how valued you are because you never knew before. Now you know, and now you'll never go out again. What is God doing in this process with Hosea? See, God could have just gone, zap, you have my heart, now you love well. But God doesn't do that. God takes Hosea through a process of learning an internal creation, a formation inside of his heart where when Hosea gets to the end of the process, this is what he prophesies. The last part of Hosea chapter two and the first part of Hosea three goes like this. In the last days, and here's a last days message nobody ever talks about. In the last days, I will pour out compassion on those who haven't even earned it. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And a nation will come trembling to the Lord and his goodness in the last days. <laughs> Think about this with me. God could have just gone, boom, Hosea, you got my heart. But he didn't. He took Hosea to university, to school, to a process by the end of the process, Hosea has slowly had his heart conditioned and formed to where the sound that he releases comes from that process. And can I tell you, some of you want instant gratification in terms of like, I want everything, all the knowledge and all the wisdom and all the revelation of the Holy Spirit now. God will take you to university <laughs> some of you are in university right now. Some of you are in school right now. And you're like, graduation seems like a long way off. Like, seriously, I feel like I'm going back. I've failed some classes, Bill. I got to like retake some courses. Like, whew, I did not do well in that last class. It's okay. God's got grace for it. Set your heart to understanding. Stay teachable all the days of your life. Last one, stay humble before God. He says, when you set your heart toward understanding and walk 
humbly before your God. Now, this one to me is probably the most important. I wish I could just take an entire night to talk about humility because this one is where God's been teaching me a lot lately about this whole did not our hearts burn within us. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tie this in to, with tomorrow night, and we'll talk a little bit about what it means to tremble before the presence of God, what it means to literally walk in humility, but I'll give you a taste of it here. <clears throat> when we think of trembling before God, a lot of times we think of the fear of the Lord. And when we think of the fear of the Lord, we create a division and separation in our mind between God's holiness and our unholiness, his righteousness and our unrighteousness, his, his worth and our worm-like state. And so we, and, and I did this a, a lot growing up in, 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 as a young pastor. We go to conferences on Job and we talk about all the Job's trials and everything. And we'd all be like weeping and crying and feeling afflicted and t- telling God how worthless we were. It was amazing how good we felt about our worthlessness, <laughs> right? It was almost like a, like a, oh, don't let this phrase offend you, but it's going through my head right now. It was almost like a spiritual sadomasochism where it's like I beat myself up and I feel super good about it. It's gonna look like humility to everybody around me, but it's actually feeding my ego. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And uh, eventually you got to let your father tell you who you really are, right? Like if you don't let the Holy Spirit tell you who you are, you'll never believe what God says about you. And God wanted to tell me some things about who he, he believed me to be. And I was not ready to hear them. I was not ready to listen to them. And so what did I do? I created this separation, this gulf. And then all of a sudden I realized, John 14, 20, in that day, Jesus says, you will know I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. That means I am united, linked up, enmeshed, totally united with an absolutely holy God. And when his holiness and my unholiness collide, somebody's going to win. And it's not you. You're holy and it's not even your fault. (laughs) You're righteous. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. And it's not even your fault. Now, when I consider that and I realize, oh my goodness, this is my state. This is what the grace of God has given me. His holiness and his righteousness. I can suddenly get super familiar with that and feel kind of proud about that. Problem is I didn't do it. So I can't take any credit for it. Once I realize that, then what do I do? I receive it as a gift and I grab a hold. I just, wow, now what does it do? It makes me humble in my union. I can actually tremble in awe at the presence of God in the middle of that revelation of union. See, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. How do you get wages? I think Joel taught me this. How do you get wages? You work for it. How do you get a gift? You receive it. You have to work to be a sinner. It is harder to be a sinner than to be forgiven. Because forgiveness involves a surrender of your ego and all of your pride to let God actually speak truth into your life, to tell you who you really are. So walking humbly before God isn't putting yourself down. It's surrendering to let that union redefine who you are. Let his holiness define your humanity. And what happens there? Suddenly, everything in my life that is contrary to that holiness, suddenly, man, I just just don't want any part of that. And it suddenly starts falling away. Why? Because I'm not trying to get closer to him. He's already living in me. And he brought his holiness in. And I'm not going to bring anything to violate that. 
It's these five things that Daniel carried. This is going to be the foundation of what we talk about, about did not our heart burn within us. Walk in radical, radical compassion, even towards the wicked. Live without compromise to the word of the Lord. Surrender everything to God. Every good idea, he'll separate the good ideas from the bad ideas, but he'll also separate the good ideas from the God ideas. Ask for grace for yourself and your people, your nation, your family, your home, your work, your job. Make supplication for people. When you ask for grace, wisdom and understanding will follow. And then set your heart to understand. What you know will keep you from what you need to know if you don't remain a novice. Finally, and where'd the worship team go? There. This was the part. <laughs> and finally, learn what it means to live humble before God. To literally let the awe and the reverence of a holy God cause you to tremble in his presence. Not because of your unworthiness. I think it's a trembling in gratitude. It's trembling in an awe of a holy God I can't buy another heartbeat. I can't buy another breath. He's given to me as a gift. The fact that we, we have this honor, this amazing honor to come together and worship, to lift our voices and raise a sound to heaven, to ask God to, by his Holy Spirit to ignite the fire on the altar of our heart again. What an incredible gift. And I felt like tonight, as I was sitting down here in the front tonight, I, I felt like the Lord was saying that there's some people in here have, who've had more of an awareness of a distance and separation than a union and closeness. Like, like God has felt absent, felt distant. Like maybe you can remember even a time where you had supernatural encounters with the Lord. You remember a time when you had had moments of prophetic clarity that just were unbelievable and astounding. But it seems like maybe those times have passed and you thought, is that the best? Is that the best it's ever gonna be? And I don't know, I felt like the Lord was saying, I, I, I want you to invite, Bill just invite everybody to get on the same page tonight. They have access to my fire. They all have it. It's there for the asking. It's there for the asking. And it will burn away every hindrance, every doubt, every lie, every bit of unbelief that you've allowed to creep in. To maybe drape over the altar so that the fire doesn't burn. I just feel like tonight he just wants to reignite some of you. So I'm gonna ask you just to be super honest with me. Everybody stand with me tonight if you would. I want you to search your heart in this last season. We're going to say in this last couple of years. And this is a safe space, by the way. I know this house. I know this pastor. I know this team. So I can say this with confidence. This is a safe space. It's a place where you come to get healed. How many of you would be honest with me and say, I can say in the last couple of years, 
God has felt absent. Anybody? Wow. Okay. It's important. Keep your hands up for just a moment. You're not alone. Okay. You're not alone. You're not alone. Well, absent no more. Tonight, God wants to reignite the fire on the altar of your heart. If you want that, and you're saying, God, I need your fire. You're not going to get it from me. You're going to get it from him. Okay. We'll lay hands on you. We're going to have teams down here tonight, but it's not going to come through a specific person. It's going to come through you opening yourself up to receive and saying, God, I need the fire to be rekindled on the altar of my heart. As these guys begin to worship, I'm gonna invite you to step out from where you are. Come and find a place down here. You can stand, you can kneel, you can get on your face. I don't care. Take whatever posture the Holy Spirit draws you to. But let the fire of God be rekindled on the altar of your heart tonight. Step out from where you are. Go ahead, go ahead. Prayer teams, I'm going to invite you to come and just start making your way through this company of people. Lay hands on them, begin to speak and prophesy over them as God tells you. Holy Spirit, would you ignite us tonight? Ignite us with a fresh outpouring of your fire. Come, we're just honest and say, some, some have felt an absence. Some have felt a distance, a separation. So Lord, tonight I pray that you would bring a revelation of union. And I see the oil of heaven. It's, it's like I see, I see drops of oil falling from the ceiling and that oil is flammable. That oil is combustible. I feel like God is taking, is beginning to drop the oil, the combustible oil of the joy of the Lord onto the altar of your heart again. Let him do it. Let him do it. Say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, I receive you. Holy Spirit, ignite that fire on the altar of my heart again. I feel like there's some that are down here that are saying, I've blown it and, I, and I've, I've, I've actually, I feel like I've disqualified myself from that fire. And listen, I just speak grace over you tonight. The grace of heaven over you tonight. The grace of heaven, the oil that you're feeling right now is the grace of heaven flowing over your life, flowing over your body, flowing over your spirit, flowing into you right now. Just say, God, I receive it. I receive that grace. I receive that grace. I receive that oil in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.